again, I'm Pastor Colleen, and uh, I get the privilege this morning to share with you, so thanks. Scott, uh, Pastor put us in the book of Ephesians, and so I hope you have your Bibles. If you do, grab them. If you have an electronic version, great. Can I just encourage you, you know, as things are in our world are changing so rapidly, um, can I just encourage you, if you don't have a hard copy Bible, can you grab one? Make sure you grab one and have it on with you. We just don't know what's going to happen in this world that where they're with uh, electronics, they might outlaw the Bible on them. We don't know. So it's always good to, I, I love my electronic Bible, but at the same time, I still have a good study Bible, and I would encourage you as well. Because, listen, we want you to get into this word. We encourage you to get into this word. Can I remind you that it is the only book that you're going to read that reads you? It, it reads your areas and tells you about you. That's what the scripture says. It's alive. It's active. And it's doing work in our heart. And so the word of God is incredible. We need to get into it. So pastor has us in the book of Ephesians. This is not a verse-by-verse verse, uh, study, just so you know. However, he left off last week at chapter 10 when he said, he reminded us, uh, Paul wrote, you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Praise God. Because of the grace of God, you, he's reminding you who love Jesus have been created for, for good works. Isn't that good news? That is such good news. And then we're going to pick up in verse 11 today, 11 through 22. And it, it's a little bit more challenging uh, Portion, I said thank you very much to my husband uh, um, uh, for this. But let's pick up in 11, Ephesians 11, uh, uh, 2, 11. It says this, therefore remember, I love that when it tells you, notice how many times it tells us to remember. Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the uncircumcision, which is done by the body, body by human hands remember that at that time you were separated from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of promise without hope and without God in the world but now everybody say but now but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups and one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing walls of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulation. He purpose, his purpose was to create in him, I want you to point, really take note on this, one noon humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility and came to preach peace to them, to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. 
And through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of this household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Wow, that's a lot. it can be a lot, and it could be a lot to digest and really comprehend. So we're going to tackle that this morning. But before we do, can we just pray? Because I believe that we cannot obtain any kind of revelation unless the Holy Spirit illuminates it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is alive. And so, Father, I thank you that the word of God would just do what you always do, and that's change hearts and lives. I thank you for shining in darkness. I thank you for pulling back blinders that, are, that have been over our eyes. Lord, over my eyes. Lord, I thank you that, Holy Spirit, we just say, have your way in this time. Speak to us. Lord, I pray that I get out of the way and Jesus is lifted up. I pray, Father, that your word just uh, grows and does a great work in each one of our hearts. God, we don't want to leave the same. We really don't, Lord. Don't, don't leave us the same as we came in today. We want to be more like you, more like Jesus. And so we pray, give us understanding today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Can I just remind you, uh, uh, we're going to, again, this isn't verse by verse, but in order to really under, have an understanding of this portion of the scripture, we're going to have to do a little inductive study. And so that means we're going to have to really look into the history and the content Tent. And uh, in order to do that, I wanted to remind you, while the Bible is written for you, it is not written to you. Can I say that again? While the Bible is written for you, it's not written to you. What do I mean by that? I mean that the writer, in this case Paul, was writing to a specific church, the church of Ephesus. If he was written to uh, us, it would be to the church of Cameron Park. So it would be the camera parkings, I guess. Uh, but in this case, it's the book of Ephesians. He's writing to the book, the, to the church in Ephesus. It's a specific, things are going on, specific uh, uh, um, place at time, and he's dealing with things. And so he's not writing, it's super important to understand, he's not writing to 21st century America. Do, do I, what do I mean by that? Is there application? A hundred percent. The scripture here is rich in application. But if we don't really understand the context, we can twist the word of God to say things it was never meant to say. And so we don't want to do that. We want to correctly be able to have understanding of what the word is saying. And so in order to do that, we really need to, to look at the history of these two groups. Paul mentions two groups here, and he talks about them. And who are the two groups? The Jews and the Gentiles, the circumcised, the uncircumcised. In order to comprehend and really understand this, I, I, I think we have to understand how the Jewish nation was formed in the first place. Some of you guys remember in the book of Genesis, God makes a covenant with Abraham or Abram at the time. And he says, I'm going to give you a son. 
And from your son, uh, he says, I'm going to do miraculous, which was, it was a miraculous thing. Abraham's in his 90s at the time. He, and he says, I'm going to do something amazing. Abraham, I'm not just going to give you a son. I'm going to bring up a nation out of you. And so some years later passed when Abraham's 100. And he's Abraham now. Sarah, his wife, 90. Sarah gives birth to a son. His name is, who remembers? Isaac, good. Isaac grows up. Isaac has a son. His son is named Jacob. Jacob then grows up. Jacob has, this is the condensed form. Jacob has 12 sons, remember? And from that are the 12 tribes of Israel, and the nation is formed. And so Israel is formed. These groups of people would eventually find themselves in Egypt enslaved, for 400 years, God would bring them out supernaturally out of Egypt with a help from the man named, whoa, you guys, this is like Bible trivia. I feel like I should give you a buzzer or something. Moses, Moses leads them through the Red Sea to the Mount Sinai. When they get to Mount Sinai, God says something. He says to them as a nation, I'm going to be your God, and you are going to be my people. He now makes the covenant from just Abraham to now the nation. Uh, You are my people. The Jewish nation is not only born, but the Jewish nation has this unique relationship with the one true living God, Yahweh. And you have to think about it. Back in, in biblical times, it was almost every nation was polytheistic meaning they were, had multiple gods. It was, you wouldn't go and people say, I'm an atheist. Most people had an array of gods. Think about it. The Egyptians had their gods. The Mesopotamians had their gods. The, the Philistines had their gods. Everybody had their gods that they worshipped. But the Jews had one god, one true god. And they, had, and they said, God has entered a special covenant with us. So the Jews saw themselves kind of like this. They saw themselves in a circle. That God had encircled them, and the circle of covenant relationship was for them alone. Everybody, whether they were Egyptian or Greek or Roman or or Mesopotamian, they were outside the circle and thus were considered, who remembers, Gentiles. You're not Jewish. If you are not in the Abraham's bloodline, you are not Jewish and you're outside the circle. We're inside the circle. So the, to the Jewish people, they, there was only con, uh, considered two, these two groups. Now having said that, you might say, because the reality was true. God had made a special covenant with them. But can I tell you this? God did not want them to just keep that to themselves. He had called them to be a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah says it like this in Isaiah 49. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you'll bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. That was God's intent, to use the Jewish nation to reach the world. However, that didn't always, that didn't happen because throughout history, 
And if you, who likes ancient history in the, here? A couple people like it? Most of us don't read ancient history. I know I don't, typically. And especially if you're a Christian, this is your ancient history book. And so if you read this, you can, the, prob, the thing with this is it's written in the lenses of a Jewish person. And so we can see the world in this Jewish lens, and we can think, wow, there was so, it was such a large nation. But in reality, when you begin to look at ancient history, the Jewish people were not a huge nation. They were a very small group. Think about that. There was the Egyptians, the Mesopotamians, like I said, the Greeks, the Persians, remember? The Babylonians, and in fact, in 586 B.C., the Babylonians with King Nebuchadnezzar, they swept into Jerusalem, they conquered the city, and, the, and they took over the temple, desecrating it and, and taking everything, the gold, the silver, anything of value. And then King Nebuchadnezzar uh, had the first, that was the first temple to be torn down stone by stone. King Solomon's temple, they destroyed it. What would you feel like if you were a Jew in that time? Think about it. There you are, this Gentile uh, army comes and invades, and we learn even in the scripture that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had over 20,000 Jewish citizens taken and, and brought to Babylon, over 20,000 enslaved and brought there. What would you feel like if you were a Jewish person? And then a couple hundred years later, the Persians come through, and then the Mesopotamians, and over and over, they, the, God's people would watch them be con conquered. What would you feel like if you were Jewish? In, one, in 169 BC, a guy named Antiochus IV, who was Mesopotamian, thought he felt himself to be a god. He was crazy if you read about him. He seized Jerusalem. He went into the Jewish temple. He had all the priests killed. He outlawed the Sabbath. He outlawed the reading of the Torah. He sentenced that anybody who would circumcise their children, which was a commandment that God had given to Israel, that they would be thrown, put to death. He put up an idol of Zeus in the holy place. He sacrificed a pig in that place. And he sacrificed it not just to Zeus, but to himself. And he sentenced every Jewish mother to be th that, that would, th uh, not only to death, but that their bodies would be thrown off of the wall. It's believed that Antiochus was responsible for more than 100,000 deaths. What would you feel like if you were a Jewish person? Remember, not only are they being conquered, not only... Are they having this, being enslaved? They're bringing their culture. They're bringing their worship of pagan gods. They're bringing it all into their nation. And the Jewish people begin to grow more and more hostile. They begin to have this wedge more and more. And this once this nation was to be this light to the Gentiles, now just wants to be liberated. And they just want to get rid of the Gentiles. These invaders, 
but they couldn't get free without a miracle. And then God had promised them a deliverer. Who remembers what that deliverer, who that deliverer would be? Messiah. Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah. You know, the, many Jewish people are still looking for the Messiah. We know Jesus to be Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. But Messiah, to their understanding, would be a king. He would come in, he would rid the land of all those wicked Jewish, uh, non-Jewish people, those Gentiles. He would get rid of the paganism. He'd get rid of the sexual perversion. He would make their culture back to them. Scottish theologian, I, love, I read this, and I, he uh, wrote about uh, how Jews viewed Gentiles in Paul's day. His name's William Barclay. William Barclay says this, the Jew had immense contempt for the Gentiles. The Gentiles said that the, the Jews said that the Gentiles were created by God to fuel the fires for hell. You get that? They said the only reason a Gentile was born is to fuel the fire of hell. It was so unlawful to render help to even a Gentile mother in her hour of need, for that would simply be bringing in another Gentile into the world. If you saw a pregnant lady and about to have a baby, you're just going to bring another Gentile in the world. Until Christ came, Gentiles were the object of content to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. And if a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, a funeral for that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. In other words, if your Jewish child married a Gentile, you had a funeral and not a wedding. That's how the Jewish people viewed the Gentiles. It was even, even illustrated in the, the second temple and when King Herod came in and, and did some changes. Called, it, it's called Herod's Temple. And, and Herod uh, had it constructed according to what the Jewish people wanted. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah started this temple. But King Herod went in. And in the center of the temple area would be... The, so inside the center would be the Holy, Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies is where God's presence, his tangible presence would be me. But only the high priest could go in there one time a year. Just outside of that was called the court of priests. You had to be a Jewish and you had to be priest. You had to be of the tribe of Levi. You had to, in order to even get out into that area. The next area out was called the court of Israel. That is where the Jewish men could worship and go. The next out would be called the court of women. That is where the Jewish women could go and worship. That's as close as they could get to the Holy of Holies or the presence of God. Past that, you would descend five stairs, pass a, t a wall, and then pass through another 14 steps, past a, a six-foot wall, down, and then go down in elevation to what was called the court of the Gentiles. If you were a Gentile, that's as close as you could get to the presence of God. 
So let me ask this. Who in here is of the bloodline of Abraham and Jewish? Raise your hand. Of the bloodline of Jew. You have that blood. No, we're a bunch of Gentiles. You Gentiles. You. <laughs> I'm a Gentile. But listen, they, they, they have found, they, ask, uh, they found some of these, a couple of these signs. Yeah, but because these signs were po- posted on the court of Gentiles, one said, No foreigner may enter within the barrier in the enclosure, enclosure of the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. In other words, you pass this line, you're dead. You die. If you're a Gentile, you are cut off. If you're a Gentile, that's as close as you can get. Acts 21 and 22 tells us about Paul ministering. He is ministering to the Gentiles. Remember, he's building churches. He's planting. He's seeing people come to know Jesus. He heads back, as he's heading back to Jerusalem, he meets with a group of people, and there is a prophet there named Agabus. Agabus comes to meet him. He grabs Paul's belt, and he says, Paul, the Spirit of the Lord tells me that the man who owns this, and he's taking Paul's belt, and he's tying it up. When he goes to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be bound up. You're going to be imprisoned. Upon hearing that, everybody who loved Paul said, Paul, don't go. This is the Holy Spirit warning you. Don't go. Do not go, Paul. Paul says, you you guys are breaking my heart. Why are you doing this? I am ready to go. I am going to Jerusalem. Even if I have to die for Christ, I am going. So he goes to Jerusalem. He meets with James. James is the brother of Jesus the head over the church in Jerusalem. He reports to James about the salvation, about the Gentiles coming to know him. James says, great, love it, love, love, love it. (laughs) And they give Paul the seal of approval. James then warns, he says, but Paul, you need to know, there's some people that don't think, they think that you're teaching against the law. They think that you are teaching against the teachings of Moses. And so you need to go there and make an oath in the, in the temple with the Jewish council. And, this, and that will tell them you are a Jew, you're, you're standing. Paul says, okay. We pick it up in chapter 21 of Acts, verse 27. Uh, it says this, and when the seven days, it was a seven-day oath. So on the seventh day... Uh, when the seven days were nearly over, so it's almost over, some Jews from the providence of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, look at this. He has what? Brought Greeks into the temple. He had them go past the line. I saw it. <laughs> and they defiled the holy place. So they had previously seen three Theopolis, the Ethiopian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. We saw him do it. So they stir him up and they identify. He, he's talked about Jesus. They didn't do it. But the minute he talked about that Gentile, they got stirred up. 
Jump down to verse 30. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. And while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops and the whole city of Jerusalem was in a uproar everywhere. So the guards go in, they see this commotion, they bring in, they grab Paul, they're arresting him, they're taking him away. Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I say something to the crowd? The guard says, okay, yes, you can. Paul begins to address them in Hebrew. They go silent and Paul begins to recount count his testimony. He's telling them about his conversion on the road to Damascus and how a bright light came, blinded him, and Jesus revealed himself. And then look at verse 21. Uh, yes. When I returned, so Paul is saying this, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. And he saw... And I think this is a repeater. And he saw the Lord speaking quick. Yes, I wanted you to really catch that one. Lord, I replied that these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr, uh, Stephen, was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now look at this. The crowd listening to Paul until he said this. Until he said, you're going to the Gentiles. Until he said, God's telling me to go to the Gentiles. Then they raised their voices. They shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Paul, and, and you say, why, am I, why is she telling us all of this stuff? Because I want you to see the picture of what was happening that Paul is addressing here in Ephesians chapter 2. I need you to see the history. The Jewish people had every right to not like the Gentiles. They, on earthly standing, they had every right to hate them, to loathe them. They were the chosen people. These were the people that had enslaved them, had martyred them. They had every single right. But Paul is saying, guys, don't you realize what Jesus came to do? Don't you know that we were in trespasses and sin? We were enslaved and you were condemned and you were far off, but God in Christ has brought you alive. You see, so what happened was when Jesus paid the price on the cross, he did, I believe, three things. Three incredibly great things. We were on the outside, and now we're on the inside. That's why I asked you, are you guys Gentiles? Yeah. But even if you are a Jewish person, Jesus was creating a new group. We were on the outside. Paul is saying, don't you remember that God in Christ has reconciled you? I think it's so beautifully illustrated through the cross. Because the cross re really has two portions, doesn't it? There's a vertical. The vertical piece reminds us and shows us what God has done. God has reached down from heaven to demonstrate his love for us. 
That Romans 5, 8 says that while we were in a mess, while we were still sinners, while we were still against God, Christ died for us. He extended that sacrifice that, that because here's the reality, sin separates you from God. Romans tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 John 3, 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Sin separates you from your relationship with God. Sin is rebellion. And my prayer is that when you, we see the cross, we'll be reminded what Jesus did. We'll be reminded that we can have fellowship. Ephesians 2, 14, remember, he says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He's united Jews and Gentiles into one people, his own body, with his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. The cross, what Jesus did and what the cross did, it not only brought us from the outside to the inside, but we were separated. We are now unified. You know, the cross doesn't just have a vertical beam, does it? There's a horizontal beam. And that horizontal beam reminds us that God not only reconciled us to him, but he's reconciled us to each other. He's reconciled us to one another, Jew and Gentile. There is no other kind of race. Our prejudice, our bitterness, it's all destroyed because of the cross. Jesus destroyed the wall. Thank you, Lord, for that. Amen? Amen. Because Jesus is the great unifier, isn't he? He's the one. He's the good news. He's the only one that can take this group, this group that I'm looking at today, that probably would not naturally uh, join together and make us one. Jesus does that. And you might say, you know what? Uh, I, I, I just want to say this question. Who is in outside your circle? Because I think just as the Jewish people had people outside, they looked at the Gentiles and they looked at them and they said, we don't want them in our circle. I believe that we all, if we were honest, have people outside of our circle. So I want to ask you, who's outside your circle? Who do you, who do you think the, it would be better off if they weren't around? Could you think of a political party group? Could you think of an ethnic race? Could you think of, you know, an economic group of people? Oh, if those people would just go get jobs, the whole world would be a whole lot better. Who do you put on the outside of your circle? And you might say, is that, does that really happen inside the church? You know, I've been serving the Lord now over 40 years. And I just want to say that I have seen this 
played out even in the church. I've been told personally as a pastor by when we would see the church start to grow and people of all different economic stances and races. And, you know, our prayer is always that the church would look like the community. So when somebody comes in here, they should go, wow, this is what this, is what this area looks like. Look, there's rich people, there's poor people, there's, you know, there's just everybody. This is what it should look like. That's what the church should look like. It should be a reflection. That's always been our heart, but over the years, I can truthfully tell you, and I'm sure Sean and Pat maybe had that experience too, we've had people say, you know what, you need to stop allowing those people to come here. If you don't stop letting them come here, then I guess I'm going to take my family and we're going to go somewhere else. We've been told that. And usually, Pastor and I say, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, let us know what, where you would like your membership transferred. Because we'll do that. Because let me tell you, the gospel is a unifier. Jesus unified us. Everyone is welcome. Everyone, it doesn't matter your economic stance. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your history. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter your, eth uh, your ethnicity. Jesus died for you. He died for each and every one of them. And let me say before, uh, before do I, I've struggled with this. I, there's people that I look at and I'm like, I can't believe they think like that. It's just better not to talk to them. But can I remind you out of Galatians, what, 3.28? There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ. The, the divisions of race, gender, political views are not more important than your identity in Jesus. They're not. And let me say this really fast. Paul's not saying take all the labels away, identify us in this some sort of collective group, and, and we're all, and he's not saying that. He's saying to get into Christ, you have to come. You can come from anywhere, and you can be born into this family. And your identity in Jesus and his family is more important than the color of your skin. It's more important than the language you speak or the car you drive or the money you make or the money you don't make. <laughs> Jesus is more important. He's the unifier. You're not lesser than and you're not greater than anybody in this place. And no position or wealth or status or job title or, or heritage even we are one. That means we can't look down on anybody. That means I can't get, get up on my religious high horse and think that I'm somehow better than other people. Can't be, I can't, and, I, and, you, and like I said, I have heard this way too many times. I can't have my kids around those people. I agree we don't want our kids to be influenced by them, but... I want my kids to influence the world. 
And any time I saw in my life as a parent, any time I saw my kids being influenced, it was time for me to kind of pull them aside, pour into them extra amounts so that they can once again be what God had called the Jewish people to be. And he's called you and I to be the light, to be the light into a world. We are, the next thing I need, wanted you to remember is the cross did, is we're not foreigners, we're family. God takes this crazy bunch here, <laughs> this crazy bunch there, and he makes them family, and he brings us together. Ephesians 3 says this, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of his ministry for, did I, okay. For the ages past was kept hidden from in God who created all things. His intent was that now through what? The church. The manifold of wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. He's saying, you are a living sermon. Even to principalities. God's holding us up as a group to principalities, to rulers in the heavenly realms to show what he can do. He can unite. He can make a family. Isn't that amazing? When I think about that, I think, how, how, how am I doing? How are we to show this? How can we show to the world that we're family? I think Jesus said it so well in John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. You know what? I hope you're getting this message. The Jewish people had every right again to hate. But if I am Christ, they're a new family. In Christ, we are family. And we're to love one another. And Jesus, when asked about the great commandment, do you guys remember this? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. But the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets is, are in these two commandments. Jesus is taking this beautiful new family and presenting it to the world and saying, look at what I can do. Look what I can do. It's, you know what, if we'll really adapt this, if we'll really do this, it will change how you view church. Because church isn't just about you coming in here and getting what you need. Church is about you being showing the love of God to other, those who don't know him. When people walk in here and they see you and you and you and they say, how in the world did all of those rugrats get together? It's because of Jesus. Listen to, I want to read you out of 2 Corinthians. 
And all of this is the gift of God who has brought you back to himself through Christ. He has given us the task. He's given it to us of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave who? Us. This wonderful message of reconciliation. We are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. You know, God uses people. Time and time again, we can pray and we can say, oh God, save the world, save the world. And God is saying, okay, go. Boop, boop. Let me pat you, give you a little whoop. Take off. Go be my, go reconcile. That's what we are. We, as followers of Christ, we are his ambassadors to the world. We're the ones to declare to the world that Jesus died and that they can be reconciled with God. So can I just challenge you with a couple things today? One, if you have found yourself having, really, Paul is addressing prejudice here. If you have found yourself with some prejudice, can I just tell you it's time to ask God to forgive you? It's, there's not a place for it in the house of God. In the people of God. Everybody is welcome. Nobody is better than another person. You're not better. I'm not better. We don't know everybody's stories or everybody's journey and where they're at and where their, level, they, their walk is with the Lord. Does it mean we'll always agree on everything? Absolutely not. Do you guys agree with everything in your whole own personal family? Do you always, in your personal family, everybody is on the same page? No. But can I tell you, I want to declare this an anti-cancel culture. We live in a world where it's called cancel culture. We cancel this. I don't, I don't like how you're talking to me. You're not giving me my safe space. I'm going to... You're removed out of my life. We do that. You're not, you're not, I hear this over and over. You're you're not safe. You're not safe. It is not safe in this world as a believer. We're not safe. But I, but remember Paul wasn't even safe when he was going into Jerusalem, but he said, I'm going. I know I'm not safe, but I'm going because they need to know. It, we're not called to be live in a little safe bubble. We're not called to put a little bubble around us and to keep all the bad people away. Keep them all away. If you don't agree with me. Listen, there are some crazy beliefs out there, aren't there? There are some things I go, whoo, they are cuckoo in the head. But how will they know the love of God if I don't show it? God has called me to, the, to reconcile them. And he's called me to show the love of Christ to them. And he's called me to be in this family. And he's called you to be in this family. So if you have any prejudice, it's time to repent and turn from it. And turning from that, in this word repentance, means going the opposite way. So I'm going to challenge you. If you have found yourself looking at a certain group of people or, or people, you know, maybe call them. Maybe you know somebody. 
Call him. Say, hey, you want to do lunch? You want to restore relationship? I know it's hard. It's really hard to, to bridge the gap and to be a minister of reconciliation, to be an ambassador for Christ. It is hard, but we're called to the hard things. We are to do the hard things. We're not to do the soft, easy things. We're the people of God. This new creation, the ancient church stopped calling themselves Jews. They stopped calling themselves Gentiles. And you know what they called themselves? I heard some people. Christians. They called themselves Christians. We, the body of Christ, are Christians. We're to be his light to the world. And so if you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, today's the day. The Bible says today's the day. And we want to say it's time. if you haven't made Jesus Lord, it's time you can come to him and you can make him Lord of your life and, well, and be a part of this crazy family Amen. by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. So could I have everybody close their eyes for a minute? I just want to ask if anybody in this room, you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life and you want to do that today. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. Is there anybody here that, that is ready to surrender their life to the Lord and you haven't done that? Thank you, Jesus. Heather, could you put on some, some like background music? That would be awesome. Thank you, Lord. If you've had prejudice in your heart or somebody outside the circle, maybe it's just been one person that you stuck outside the circle. It's one too many. God is saying it's time to be in a minute.